Let's go and open a prayer. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to lift you up in the preaching of the word and that you will guide and lead as we look at these verses that we're going to examine and that you would, we would see what you would have us to see from that in your son's precious name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 21. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And this is another one of those uh, short sentences of Paul's. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, only, it's only eight verses long, so we're not going to do all eight verses today, but we're going to read it all so you have the con context. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under he heaven, wherein I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind with the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Therefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery which among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his work, which works in me mightily." So we're going to look at this starting at verse 21. And he says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now this is kind of an interesting statement that Paul's talking about because he's talking to our state before we're saved. We're alienated from God. And that means we're shut off from fellowship. And we think back when Adam and Eve were created... They had one rule, and that was don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God met with them in the cool of the night and talked to them. Wouldn't you, wonder, wouldn't you think that would be a wonderful thing to have God actually come down and talk to you? This is a Christophany that we talk about. It's a pre-incarnate pre appearance of Jesus. It was appearance of Jesus before he came as a baby to talk with Adam and Eve every night close, intimate fellowship. And we sang the song, Greater is He that is in you. We also have a close, intimate relationship with God because the Holy Spirit indwells us when we're a Christian. You know, so God is even closer to us than he was with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, he was just with them, you know, physically at the end of the day, talking to them. We have him living in us. But before somebody is saved, they are alienated from God. No desire to be with God, no desire to follow him because there is a gap between that fellowship. And he says, and not only that, he goes, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Enemies in your mind. Have you ever met somebody who is God's enemy and they let you know it? They hate God, they hate Christians, they hate religious people. They just, everything about them, they just are blinded by their sin. And this, the word here for wicked works is literally poneros. And this kind of evil is a mischief-making evil. 
delighting in doing injury to other people. You know, and I've met many people that are that way. They just seem to enjoy making life miserable for, for you. You know, family members like to do this too many times, and sometimes we do it to our own family. We push all the buttons to irritate them, knowing that they're going to get mad, knowing that they're going to get upset, and yet we push those buttons. That's poneros. <laughs> poneros. You know, purposely enjoying making somebody else miserable. This is the picture that Paul is saying about us before Christ. We're this way toward God. Purposely trying to do things that will cause problems. And we get wrapped up in our sins. When we first start a sin, usually we don't go out and say, I think I'm going to go out and sin today. Okay, that's not usually our first thought in our mind. But because we are fleshly people and we are wicked in our very heart of hearts, we will do sin. And sometimes we get so basically addicted to the sin that we have to then start doing it. I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol and those type of things. There are certain sins that if you keep doing them often enough, they become part of your life. Have you ever met somebody who is basically a liar? They just cannot tell the truth. They're pathological about their lying. They've lied so much in their lifetime that it just comes more natural for them to lie than to tell the truth. That is part of the addiction of sin. And you can be addicted to just about any sin out there. If you do it long enough, it becomes a habit or an addiction, and you have to do it. And here Paul's saying, you know, you were separated from God. And so many people we meet, you know, when we go out witnessing to people, we'll ask them, well, how do you think you get to heaven? And those who took the class, they'll know the number one answer you get when you ask somebody, how do you think they're going to get to heaven, is, well, I hope I've done enough good things. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. You can do all the good things you want, but you're not going to make it to heaven because of your good things. Because God's standard is perfection. We have all sinned. Every one of us. Even we as Christians sin. And probably have sinned already this morning before you even came to church. You know, just the way we think. You know, Jesus raised the level of sin even higher. You know, the Pharisees were always worried about what you did. And that's what most people are worried about. What, what, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I wanted to kill that guy that cut me off on the highway. I, I, I wanted to uh, steal that really nice uh, thing that was left out in the open, and I read, but I didn't do it. So they think they're good. And Jesus says, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. If you've been angry with, about, with a brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So all of us, you know, we, we think we've been pure. You know, God, I've never murdered anybody. I've never, you know, and God says, well, you were angry with, the, you know, you were angry with several people. So as far as he's concerned, you've already committed that crime too. So we look at this, and Paul says, you who were sometimes this way, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Reconciled. That means that he has taken and opened the books and compared them to where he's at. If you've, the, the word reconcile here is the same word as if you reconcile your checkbook. 
And with this crowd, I probably know that most of you probably have reconciled your checkbook. You say that to younger people nowadays, and they don't have no clue what you're talking about. But that's to take the bank statement and match it to what, you're, what yours says. God takes our life and matches our life up to what he says. What does he say? Because of Jesus Christ's righteousness, if you are in Christ, he says you're perfect. Now you go, well, how can that be? Because God says so. <laughs> and Jesus paid the debt. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be made perfect in God's sight. And this is something because of his death. You know, there's a big debate that always goes on. Who put Jesus on the cross? Who killed Jesus? You know, and some people will point, well, the Romans did. And you know what? The Romans were the one that physically put him on the cross. You know, but Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, Pilate says, don't you know, you're not answering me. Don't you know I have power over your life? And Jesus said, you'd have no power unless it was given to you. In other words, if I didn't want you to kill me, it wasn't going to happen. Jesus told the disciples when they wanted to defend him, he could, go, he could call 12 legions of angels. You know, 12 legions of angels. That was more than Rome had in its entire army. And Jesus said, I've got 12 legions at my disposal. One angel in the Old Testament killed 175,000 men in one night. You know, 12, 12 legions? <laughs> you know, he says, I, I could destroy this whole world. You, you, Pilate, you don't have any power over me. People will say, well, the Jews killed Jesus. Well, the Jews were the ones that turned him over to, to the Romans. But you know, every one of us as human beings that have ever lived are the ones who killed Jesus because of our sin. But even more than that, the Father sent Jesus to die. If the Father had not wanted Jesus to die, he would not have died. And he died because of our sin. And the father, it says, it pleased him to do this to his son. Why did it please him? Not because he wanted to hurt Jesus. But before anything was created, the father, son, and Holy Spirit got together and said, we're going to create man and they're going to sin. And Jesus, I'd like you to give your life to pay for their, for their sin and so that we can redeem them and reconcile them to us. And I, every time I think about that, it amazes me that God created man in the first place. <laughs> knowing that we were going to sin. Knowing that Jesus was going to have to die on the cross. And we've talked about this at various times. When Jesus died on the cross and became sin, God the Father and the Holy Spirit went through pain as well because they had to separate themselves from Jesus, whom they had never been separated for all of eternity from and had to turn their back on themselves. <laughs> that would be like us taking our, one of our body, soul, or spirit and just throwing it aside and saying, nope, you're not part of us anymore. That close of a relationship, the price God paid for our salvation. And people go, well, it's too easy. You know, have you ever talked to somebody and go, well, it can't be that easy. Just accept Jesus as, as my Savior and I'll go to heaven. Well, that's all you can do. Well, that's just too easy. Well, it's obviously too hard for you. You're not willing to do it. Now, I've met a lot of people that that one step is too hard for them. They're just not willing to give up their desire to be in charge of their life, even for God. I've even had one person tell me straight up, I will not bow my knee to anybody or anything, and even that includes God. I'm going, well, God says you will bow your knee 
before him at the white throne judgment, so you might as well choose to do it or he's going to make you do it. Now, we have a choice before us. Choose to bow before him in this life and do it freely for all of eternity or be forced to do it at the white throne judgment and then spend eternity in hell. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether voluntarily or involuntarily, everyone will. And it says that he says, reconcile, bring it back from what it should have been. Back to what it should have been because of Jesus' death. To present. How do you present something? You put it in front of somebody, right? Uh, these boxes will be presented to kids at some place somewhere around the world. Uh, and who knows where they'll go. Uh, last year, two of our boxes went to the Philippines, and they didn't tell us where the other two went. Uh, they were supposed to have, but never did. So all they said is they went someplace that nobody's supposed to know about. <laughs> uh, so somewhere they carried them in behind, <laughs> behind places they weren't supposed to go. Uh, Jesus died so that he could present us. Present us to who? The Father. Do you realize that we're going to be presented to the Father by Jesus Christ? We're his bride. Let's turn that actually around. The Father is going to present us to Jesus as his bride because that's how they do their wedding at that time. The Father's arranged it and they brought, they brought the bride to the, to the groom. And what is he going to present? He's going to present us holy. Something that's separate from everything else. Talk, every once in a while we'll talk about this. Have you ever, as a Christian, tried to go back and do something that you did as a, before you were saved and find out that it, you can no longer do it? It just doesn't bring, bring you pleasure. You know, something maybe you even thought you enjoyed before you were saved and all of a sudden it no longer is pleasurable. You know you're not supposed to do it and you know you shouldn't be doing it. And you feel guilty. And you know that you're supposed to be someplace else. I can remember when I had walked away from church and you know, I was always telling people they needed to go to church. For a couple of years, I wasn't going to church, but I was telling everybody they needed to go to church and read their Bible. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew what they needed to do, but even though I wasn't doing it. You know, if you are truly a Christian and God lives inside you, you are going to be convicted of your sin. Not condemned by your sin, convicted. And conviction drives you to turn to God and, and confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. Satan's tool is, con is condemnation. And in Romans, we're told, Romans 8, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we're under the blood. Our sins are forgiven and gone completely. But we are holy. We are supposed to live a holy life. And that means separated. Now, does it mean we're going to be perfect? I wish it did, but it doesn't because we can't be perfect in this walk. But we're to be living a life that people say, this is different. You live different from the way other people do. And if they've known you long enough, they should be able to look at you and say, you live different than you used to live. And one of the things I keep telling you, each, each, we should be looking back over our life and say, am I different today? Am I closer to God today than I was a year ago? 
or two years ago? Is my life being changed by God? If it is not, I need to examine the life that I'm living. Does God live in me? And there are so many in this room that I know their lives have changed because many of you have told me, and I've also seen it in many people. Your lives are different than it was five years ago when I first started with many of you. And seeing the change and the love for God that comes out, the desire to tell others about God, the smiles that are on people's faces nowadays that wasn't there before, just the joy of knowing God, living a holy life. But then he goes on and he says, you're going, he wants to present you unblameable. This literally means without blemish, without imperfection. And we go, well, God, I know I'm not, I'm not perfect. And God says, yep, you are. We've talked several times. The first step in salvation, there's three steps in salvation. The first one is you are justified. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just as a prodigal son when he went back to the father, back to his father, the first thing he did was stripped off the garments, the, the old cloak he had, and put on a brand new clean cloak and coat and put the ring on his finger. God takes us when we come to him and says, okay, we're going to strip off these filthy rags of righteousness. Okay. Most people think he's getting rid of our sin. No, when we come to Jesus, he's stripping off our righteousness. The best things I can do, he strips off. Because the sin has already been paid for. Sin was paid for at the cross and when people stand at the white throne judgment before God, he's going to say one thing. What did you do with my son? And they're going to say, God, look at my, well, these kind of dirty, but these are my righteous. These are all my good things. You know, I think I've done enough good things, even though they look like filthy rags, to go into heaven. And God's going to say no. Sin is paid for. Our righteousness won't even stand up before God because it is filthy rags, according to Isaiah 63. When we become Christians, God strips off our righteousness and he puts on the righteousness of Christ on us. We are in Christ Jesus. The Father looks at us and he says, now that's a perfect garment. That's a clean garment. That is what my children are supposed to look like. And that's how God sees us. The Father says, we are perfect. Now, in our day-to-day -day walk, he is sanctifying us. And that is, means he's making us perfect. He's trying to make us who he says we are. And this is what I say. We look back over our time and say, am I becoming more and more like God? Am I becoming more like him with every, every day, month, year? And I suggest you look back over a year because, as, as I point out, you know, anybody who's ever seen a child grow, they grow, they grow very quickly. If you, see the, if you spend three or four or six months away from them, they... They're growing like weeds, but if you spent your entire summer with them, you, you, you buy them pants at the beginning of the summer, and by school time, they're two inches too short, <laughs> and you didn't even think they'd grown. Um, that's how we are with our spiritual life. Then he says that we're unreprovable in his sight. Now, this is kind of a very interesting statement. God says we're unreprovable in his sight. This does not mean he looks at us as if we're acquitted. Now, if you know what the word acquitted means, that means that you had charges against you, 
and they couldn't prove them. And usually when somebody's acquitted, people still think they're guilty. Okay? You know, the, the old adage where there's smoke, there's, there, there's fire. So they go, well, they had good, they must have had some case, so you must have been guilty. So you have a stain over your reputation. This word in, in the Greek literally means no charge was ever placed against you. When God justifies us, he wipes out all record of any charges of wrongdoing against us, against him. I hope you understand that, the power of that statement. God looks at you and says, well, there hasn't even been an accusation against you. There's no record of any accusation against you. Not just acquitted, but it is gone. Jesus took all the punishment on the cross for us. So that God can look at us and say, there's not even a charge in the book. Satan will come along and say, well, they did this, this, and God says, I don't see anything on the books. If you can start looking at yourself this way, understand who you are in Christ. How does God see you is so important. Many people will not forgive themselves, will not accept God's forgiveness in their life. And yet God is saying, I have forgiven you. I have put it under the blood. I see you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And by the way, there's not even a charge on the books against you. And yet so many people beat themselves up. I've had all these sins. I did all these things wrong. Start understanding the power of who you are in Christ. It is so important for us to do this. Why as Christians can we live a victorious life? Is because Christ lives in us and he takes away all record of any wrongdoing because he took it upon the cross. Jesus died on the cross when he became sin. He took all the sin of all the people who have ever lived on this world upon himself. All right? All the people. All the way from Adam and Eve, all the way up through the millennial kingdom. Every sin that will ever be committed was put on Jesus Christ. And he died, separated from the Father. Sin is not the issue with God. Perfection is the issue with God. And he says, I have my righteousness to give you, my righteousness to put upon you, and I pray that those listening and those in this room, we learn about the power of this life. Because this is the victory of Christianity. Every other religious organization out there other than true Christianity will teach you, do more good than bad and you're going to be okay. Christianity says, without Jesus, you're not, you will not be okay. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And in that verse, the most important thing to recognize is sin is singular. Any sin, and that's anything outside of God's will, is sin. And rejecting Jesus Christ is the unpardonable, unpardonable sin. If you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will go to hell. If you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you go to heaven. Why? Because it's all by grace. 
every bit of it is by grace. And sometimes we as Christians sometimes think, well, God, I just have to help you out. You know, you got me saved. That, uh, and there's different churches and religions out there that say, well, okay, yeah, you start with Jesus, but, but. If you ever hear a message that says, start with Jesus, but do these things, get away from that teacher, get away from that church, and follow God. Because there is no Jesus and. Okay? If it's Jesus and anything, it's wrong. Because it is completely God saying, my son paid the price. Now, does that mean we're going to get saved and go out and do as much sin as we possibly can? No, if you're saved, you're not going to want to do the sin. Because when you sin, the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, you're not supposed to be doing this. And you will be miserable. God has a way of making sure that we don't go out and just say, God, because of your grace, I'm going to go out and sin all I want. God, you know, that's what Paul said, you know, should I sin that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid. If the Holy Spirit is living in you and you go out and sin, you will be convicted. You will feel miserable until you repent. Confess your sin to God and repent. That's how God keeps us from just going out and saying, okay, God, I can do what I want because it's all, all forgiven. If you don't feel bad when you sin, you need to look at your relationship with God. Because there's something wrong with your relationship with God. Straight up. If you can sin without having any conviction in your life, there's something wrong with your relationship with God that needs to be dealt with. Now, that doesn't mean somebody tells you what you're doing is a sin, because there are, there's certain things that are sin. There's a, there's a handful of thou shalt nots. Okay, Ten Commandments is a good place where you start with those. But, you know, there are so many things people try to tell you, well, this is wrong. And there's no thou shalt not. They're just taking principles in the Bible, and some of them I agree with. Some of them are probably wrong for me. <laughs> okay, I believe that you have to give a tithe. It's wrong for me if I didn't give my tithe plus. <laughs> we, we give a tithe plus. And it would be wrong for me to do anything less than what God has told me to do. Does that mean everybody else should be doing a tithe plus? No, that's between you and God. God does say be a cheerful giver. So if you can't give to God cheerfully, don't give to him. You know, he'll get his tithe anyway. He always does. But <laughs> you, know, you can give it to him or he'll take it. So you can be cheerful about it or be miserable. But, you know, all these things that are out there, people will tell you, well, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, for a long time there was all these rules in church. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't drink, don't dance, go to, don't go to the movies for a while. There was don't even use computers because that's the tool of Satan. You know, uh, it was really sad sometimes these rules that you see put people up there. You know, yeah. and then you look at the Bible. David danced before the Lord, and all you, and Miriam and the women danced and sang before God after the Egyptians were flowed over the river. And then the churches were trying to tell you, don't dance. Now, now there are certain dances that probably aren't good dances to be doing uh, because of their sensual nature. But that's, again, between you and God. You know, don't let people put a bunch of rules on you so that you can please God. Let God put your rules on you. <laughs> and he'll put the rules on you as you get to know him. And you'll find three years from now the things that you can do today you can't do in three years. And maybe today there's things you can't do today that you could have done three or four years ago with no conviction. God is in charge of raising his children. 
And he does a very good job. He does a very good job at raising us and helping us learn how we're supposed to, how to live. But I've really just been challenging us. How do you see yourself before God? Are you condemning yourself all the time? If you are, stop. Stop condemning yourself because God is not condemning you if you're his child. Live in the forgiveness of Christ. You know, psychologists would go out of business if people would just start living the way God says to live. Because psychology keeps trying to go back in the past and find out what's caused you to be who you are. And God says it's under the blood, it's forgiven, let it go of it. Now the letting go is sometimes hard to do. But you know, we need to be asking God, God help me let go of whatever it is. Whatever it is that's got, got a hold of you and won't let go, seek his help. Find a brother or sister that you can confide in and say, I need your help, pray for me. And so that when I'm having trouble, you can help me. And we're going to close with prayer right now. And I'm going to actually do something I don't usually do. And at, and at the end of this, I'm going to say, if anybody wants to have prayer, you can come forward and we'll pray. Because I think that God really needs to deliver some people of some things, and this would be a good day for us to see God do some miraculous things. So... Once I'm done praying, uh, Kay, if you could just play something to <laughs> for a few minutes. It doesn't matter what. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, whoever's being touched today, we ask that you help them get deliverance. If there's anybody listening to this or in this room that needs to know you, that they will uh, recognize that they're a sinner, that they're headed for hell in their sins and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Just a simple prayer of, Lord, I am sorry I've sinned. Come into my life and forgive me. I want to be yours and want you to be my master and Lord. And Lord, for anybody here that needs to be just delivered, we ask your spirit to fall upon them and for them to release whatever has a bondage hold on them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.